forward to it. It's going to be great. It's going to be fun. And um, hallelujah. I hope you came expecting tonight something good from the Lord. And whatever you come to expect, I pray that you get it. If you didn't come expecting anything, well, oh, glory. Say, oh, me or amen. All right, uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Uh, Brother Brian, good to see you here tonight. Amen. What a special surprise. Amen. Hallelujah. Brother Brian, Chris. Amen. Who's that? Is that your granddaughter with you? Ah, how beautiful. That's so wonderful. What's her name? Serenity. Serenity. All right, Serenity. Wow. Praise God. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad you're here both. Amen. Um, all right, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day and, uh, to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. Amen. Anyway. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt do, not do any work, thou, that means you, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, uh, and in all in them, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the, sa- the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Says he blessed the Sabbath day and he hallowed it. Praise the name of the Lord. And my title of this lesson tonight is Remember the Sabbath Day. Remember the Sabbath rest. Hallelujah. And to keep it holy. Lord, thank you for your word. Lead us, continue to guide us, enlighten us in our minds and our hearts, Lord. Help us to let this word sink deep down in us and be a blessing to us that we may know how to please you better. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing so long. Thank you, Andrew, for that great song and a great song coming on YouTube after the end of the service, so don't leave. Hallelujah. Amen. It came by a moment of inspiration. Hallelujah. And some of you... uh, well, well, remember, the Sabbath of the Lord. Now, there's, a, there's a disagreement of sorts among some people anyway, what the Sabbath is or what it shouldn't be and when it should be held and when it should be kept, should it be kept, amen? But we'll look at that tonight uh, from many different angles. But we're going to focus on the Sabbath and what it really means for you and I and what, of course, the biblical context it is in the times past under the Old Testament. You know, when it says uh, that God created the heaven and earth and six days on the seventh he rested, it does not mean that God got tired. He sat down on the throne, crossed his legs and said, man, I'm beat. You know, that's, that's not at all. It simply means uh, cessation uh, or uh, it, is, uh, it is totally uh, stopping work. Cease from creating. Amen. Uh, rest here means ceased or work or of creating. I'll get better stick to my nose because uh, I think we'll have handouts. We'll, we'll get the, the answers a lot better. It means cessation or rest. Blessed here is meant simply that God blessed it and there's no further creation that was accomplished. No further creation. Um, and it is uh, blessed because 
you can look back and see the results of that work. You know, whenever you complete a work, you look back on it. I don't know about you, but, you know, when you cut the lawn, you look out there, man, that looks nice. When you paint the room, you get done, you say, wow, that looks really nice. And you stare at it for a while. And God did the same thing when he got done. He just sat there, didn't sit, said it was good. Every time, every day he did something, he looked and said, that's good. Hallelujah. And he put that in us too. He lets us enjoy the fruit of our labors. Amen. And, uh, and so there comes a time when we stop our work. And many times you and I do the same. We just look back and we reflect. And we, we feel blessed with the man. That feels really good. It makes us feel good about what we have done. And on the seventh day, with respect to creation, there was a time of celebration and worship in the temple in heaven when creation was complete. And I mentioned that temple because John saw the temple, and we see it referenced in Revelation eleven nineteen, and then chapter 14, 15, and 16. He talks about the certain angels coming out of the temple. In, uh, in, John, in Revelation in fact, uh, eleven nineteen, he talks about uh, the heavens being opened. He saw in the temple the Ark of the Testimony, the Ark of the Covenant that was up in heaven. And uh, Hebrews 8, 5 talks about the temples in the heavenly, that Moses saw what was in heaven. He saw the pattern. It was according to that pattern that he established the, the tabernacle in the wilderness. And so, so there is a heavenly temple. When God created heaven and the earth, the temple and the heavenlies was another besides the angelic beings that worship him on his throne. So uh, when, when he stopped creation... And he ceased and he finished his work. There was a time of celebration. It's not that God worshipped himself. But the Bible tells us that the angelic host rejoiced. They praised God with singing and with worship, with joy. This is what Job records in chapter 38, verse 4 through 7. And God here is talking to Job. He says, where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched a line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? And watch this. When the morning stars, now where were you when the morning stars, meaning the angels, sang together and all the sons of God, again angels, shouted for joy? Every day of creation, amen, the angelic beings were there. On the seventh day, God blessed it, and he, he set the example of worship and celebration. And that occurred in the heavenlies. And that's what Job records. And besides that celebration, the Bible tells us plainly that when it was all complete, the creation itself stood to praise and glory God. Amen. In Psalms 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. So creation stood in his glory, giving favor and praise to God just by its very existence. Hallelujah. So at the end of creation, there was not only angelic uh, worship and celebration, there was also the glory that was given to God by the very creation that he created and is still giving glory to God. Hallelujah. Now, Understand, this is the longest commandment given in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Four verses, almost one-third of the entire 15 verses of the Ten Commandments. The longest by far. 
And God shows us that we are to follow his example. That is, six days you work, then you have a day for rest and worship. God himself set this day aside for Israel and really for us. And he did so because God loves us and cares about us. Look at your neighbor and tell him, God cares about you. That's right. And he knows what you need. Amen. And we all need a full day every week for rest, relaxation, and worship. So much so that God made it one of the ten great laws that we refer to as the Ten Commandments. That's to govern human life. Think about it. Think about God. If you were to write laws, would you put that in the ten big ones? God did. I want you to have a day of rest. Work six only in the seven. Just have one out of seven. We'll look at that later. But it's not for them. For the Jews, it was a specific day. But after the law, it's whatever day. And we'll explain why. But this is really the subject of the fourth commandment. It's, uh, it's, it's setting a day aside for worship and for rest. And we must also realize that this day, uh, this, this Sabbath, they was not given just to Israel alone, but to really every nation on the face of the earth and the people of the earth. Because God hallowed that seventh day at least 2,000 years before the law of Moses. So this was not just something that, that, that occurred, you know, that God said, okay, 2,000 years after creation, okay, well, I'm going to institute a Sabbath. No, it seems like it existed before them. I would submit to you, although the, 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 the Bible is silent on it, that there was a, a semblance or a knowledge of this from the ancients, from Adam on down. And, it, I, and I believe only those that walked with God knew about this and set this time aside and walked with it. And later, God codified it. Like, for example, another subject, tithing. Abraham practiced tithing. It was not in the law. There was no law yet. Moses was to be several hundred years later. And Abraham practiced tithing, and yet it wasn't codified until Moses came around about five, six hundred years later. Okay? And I believe with the Sabbath, it's pretty much the same thing. And originally, it was really set for all of creation, all of mankind. It wasn't just specific for Israel. Why? Because God created the heavens and the earth before he ever created Israel and before he ever gave the law to Moses. Okay? So it was really given to everybody on the face of the earth. But I think he just gave it to Israel uh, as, 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 as really a, a light to the Gentiles. He called Israel and created Israel to be a light to the Gentiles. And everything they did, all his laws that he gave to Israel was really a witness to all the people on the face of the earth. And the Sabbath, no less, was one of those concepts. And it was a revolutionary concept because no one up to that, particularly not you know, the great nations and institutions that were established uh, after the flood and after Nimrod and so on, nobody practiced this day off. You were working seven days a week with no day for rest. And it is this this. this Fourth commandment that was revealed to man that God codified in the Ten Commandments that brought attention to the entire world, particularly through the Hebrews. Amen. So this was indeed a new social concept for not just the world but to the Israelites. 
as they were delivered for 400 years of slavery. And they came out of Egypt when they worked seven days a week, no break, no rest. Exodus 5, 3. In fact, let me just look at that. Exodus chapter 5. And uh, look at this exchange when Moses first goes to Pharaoh. And uh, he, after Moses discussed the issue and the situation with, uh, uh, with uh, the elders of the people, they were all for it. Let's go. Let's go to the promised land. Amen. But he said afterwards, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and said, Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert, and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works get you unto your burden? Who gave you permission to come up with this idea and stop the work that I'm having them do? In verse 5, And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land now are many, and ye make them rest from their burdens. You're trying to give them rest. You're trying to get them away from the work that I gave them. You're trying to, you know, uh, slow down the progress here. And in verse 17, uh, when, when uh, Pharaoh gave the order, no straw to make bricks, then the Jews had to go out and find stubble because they couldn't find straw to make their bricks. And then they were really working harder and longer. And, and Pharaoh's taskmasters demanded the same amount of bricks as they did before when they were given the straw. And it was clearly vexing them. It was a difficult assignment to fulfill. And yet when the people went and complained, verse 17 in chapter 5 says, was what Pharaoh responded, but he said, you're idle, you're idle. Therefore you say, let us go and do sacrifice to the Lord. You don't have enough to do. That's why you want to take a day off and go worship your God. And that's the way the devil feels about you and I. He don't want us to go to church. He wants to put this idea in your mind. You know what? You're wasting too much time. You could, make that, you could put that time to so much better use than going spending a couple hours there at that church. You got so many things to do. You got bricks to make. You got straw to find. You've got to somehow get it all together and, 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 and do the things you can't do in the rest of the week. Well, you know, if we prayed and asked God to, to help us, maybe he'd give us better skills to do what we have to do, what we think we have to do and need to do in the time that he has given to us. Remember, God cares about us. Hallelujah. So the purpose of this fourth command was to give God's people a specific time to worship God. And it will be a time to renew the soul as well as the body. And it will be a time to permit the worship of God without the pressure of outside secular work. I'm talking about work for a living. And this taught Israel really also to trust in God for their living and to trust in God for his provisions. When you look at Exodus chapter 16, uh, this, this was one of the things um, that, that God came up with to, to prove the people of Israel. Um, and uh, in chapter 16... When he told them about manna, uh, verse, uh, let me look at verse 4. 
And then said the Lord to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. How is, how is God going to prove them by going out collecting manna? Well, the next verse reveals it. He says, And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that with which, uh, which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And no matter what you were used to gathering on, uh, on five days, on the sixth day, God's going to make sure that you're able to collect twice as much as you've been collecting per day. Which means God watches what you and I do. God watches how much you and I collect. Every penny, every dollar, every minute, every second. And he says, all right, on that day, amen, it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel, at even you shall uh, know that the Lord hath brought you out of the land of Egypt in the morning, then you shall see the glory of the Lord, for uh, that he seeth your murmurings against the Lord, etc., etc. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So God gave him a command that you will not go out and eat on the seventh day, on the Sabbath. Hallelujah. And, um, well, let's see. This bread this is the thing the Lord commanded, gather every man according to man, and they did so. And the Bible says in verse 27, and it came to pass that they went out, some of the people on the seventh day, for to gather, and they found none. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for that the Lord hath given you the Sabbath, therefore he giveth you on the sixth day the bread of two days. Abide ye every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. See, you may think that you're getting ahead by working an extra day or an extra hour or an extra shift on Sunday. You think you may get a little bit ahead on financially if you work on Sunday or when there's church like those who went out on a Sabbath day. They thought, you know, I'm going to go out there again. You know what made them go out? Two things, I believe. One is unbelief, and that's just rebellion. They didn't believe God that it wouldn't come the next day. And they wouldn't believe that God would provide for them, which he did. Another thing is they probably went out because of greed. They really thought they could get more when they already had what they needed. And that's really the same thing that people still neglect the Sabbath to this day. It's not enough. I still got to do this. I got to go. Hallelujah. And God said, why don't you just trust me? With that time that, that you could work that extra shift or make that extra dollar, why don't you just dedicate it to me? And I'll make sure that you get what you need. I'll make sure you have what you have need of. Just honor me with your time and with your money. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so God was displeased with those that went out because it revealed their greed and their unbelief. And, uh, and they did not believe the promises of God. And bottom line is if you honor him, he's going to honor you and take care of you. How many know that's true? Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, 
the principle, the principle of this, of this Sabbath in uh, the fourth commandment given because God wants man to honor him with his time. God wants you and I to honor him with our time. So the first four commands deal with how man is to honor God. Every one of these first, and the first four focus on God. And in the first command, we are to honor God by making him first. I'm God alone, nobody else. The second commandment, no idols, is to lift him up above all. The third commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, and no cursing or whatever. The third is honoring God with your lips. But the fourth commandment is honoring God with your time. Why time? Because time is the measure of our existence. We measure our existence in time, hours, days, weeks, months, years. And a command required man to honor God with the currency of his existence, which is time. Hallelujah. The Sabbath enabled man to channel his time away from work and business and devote some of it to God. Yes, man needs sleep, he needs food, he needs exercise, but he also needs to worship the one true God. Our sinful nature, unfortunately, is such that it tends to want to work and play rather than worship. So this command was given to help man really to keep this healthy balance between what is physical and what is spiritual. It's logical, isn't it? When you look at us in a physical sense, you see how much God cares for us in so many ways. So in addition, God's perfect and holy nature demands a response from his creation. That response is worship. Hallelujah. And so he said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And this command was to respect the Sabbath day, a day of rest, to keep it holy, meaning separate it from all the other days, to make it special. And this was for all Israel. I mean, we read it, son, daughter, servants, stranger, foreigners, they all cattle. Uh, and in fact, back then, people in, that, in those nations had slaves, and uh, it was a different concept, the American experience, but very similar in some ways, in some places. You have to understand that this even affected them. God commanded them, if you have made servants, your servants are not supposed to work. You give them a day off. Your cattle, your children, your women. You realize what kind of dignity this gave to mankind in general in respecting them and honoring them? Anyway, um, so God in this command declared the essential humanity and the dignity of women, slaves, strangers, and foreigners, and uh, they had the same rights as, uh, as everyone else to a day of rest as the free Israeli man. And again, this was a radical concept in the ancient world, but it came through the Ten Commandments. And we see that the Sabbath, as we look towards the New Testament, was a shadow of good things to come. Because the most important uh, purpose of the Sabbath in the Old Testament was to serve as a preview picture of the rest that we find or we have in Jesus Christ. 
And this is really the perspective of the whole Bible. This is what the whole Bible points to, Old Testament and the New. It's not just a single passage here in Exodus 20, but other scriptures in the New Testament to show us of the rest that we have in Jesus Christ. And we see in Colossians chapter 2, 16 and 17, it says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect to in a holiday or of the new moon, moon rather, or, watch this, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. So all these Old Testament holy days and ceremonies, ceremonies and some ceremonial rituals were really reflective shadows of light shining on Christ. The body is Christ. And I mentioned before, shadows created when you shine light on a particular object. If you shine light on my hand, you can see it here, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You can see the shadow of my hand because light is shining upon them. And these Old Testament rituals and the, the holidays and the new moons and the Sabbaths were shadows of good things to come, future things to come. So under the law of Moses for about 1,500 years, everything was pointing ahead to Jesus Christ. And you know the story. You know the drill, the, the tabernacle system. Hey man, it, it, all the furniture was in the shape of a cross. It was a, a shadow cast to the future. And uh, all the, 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 the blood sacrifices, particularly the, uh, the lamb, uh, or the spotless lamb on the Day of Atonement and so on, it was all shadows and reflections, a future picture of Jesus Christ coming. Amen. And so is the Sabbath. So the Sabbath was a, 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 a type and shadow of that which is to come. Amen. And this is why Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 uh, through 30, he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. For my burden is easy and my burden is light. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's a misspelling for me. For my yoke is easy, but my burden is light. Now, it's interesting that the Greek word, therefore, easy, is krestos instead of krestos. It's krestos. It really means uh, well-fitting. Well-fitting. In the, in the Bible times, and others too in the Orient, when you made a yoke for an ox, an ox was the beast of burden that helped you plow and uh, bring in the harvest, do a lot of things. The ox was a symbol of work. In fact, even uh, for God, one of the symbols around the throne is the calf, an ox, which is a symbol of work. It's a symbolic representation of the Holy Spirit in action. But when you look at the ox, and, and on the earth, the... the, the the farmer who owned an ox, when they, they got a new ox and, and, and he's growing, they made a specially fitted yoke especially for that ox that fit his frame, his size, his, his muscles, because as he was pulling uh, the, the ark, ark, pulling the, uh, the wagon um, or whatever instrument uh, that they put to him to, to haul, it was attached to that yoke. And if that yoke wasn't fitting right, it would rub him raw and it would cause him to bleed. And then you get infected and you have a sick animal and he can't work and then he dies. 
So they had to make sure that that yoke was fitted just right. And it was, was, was uh, sanded down, it was smoothed, and it was put on with plenty of soft covering so that that animal wouldn't feel as little as possible. But notice, well fitted. When, God, when Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, he says, take my well fitted yoke upon you because it is easy. It is light. Hallelujah. And I have it made just for you. And that really also refers to the cross. Any man follow after me, let him take up his cross and follow after me. That's our yoke. And every one of us has a cross to bear. And everyone's cross is different. Your cross is not my cross. I have a different cross to bear. But you know what? Your cross is the one that's best fitted for you because he's the one that fitted for you. He's the one that prepared it for you. He loves and cares for us that much. Hallelujah. But again... It's Jesus who gives us rest in the Holy Ghost. Jesus that gives us the rest. So he says, come to me. That's how he started uh, in uh, Matthew eleven twenty. 20. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Hallelujah. So this is how uh, Isaiah prophesied in uh, Isaiah 28, 11, and 12 about the coming of the Holy Ghost. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, to whom he said, this is the rest, wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. He's prophesying that when it comes time to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, that many of the people of Israel will reject it because of unbelief. And so yet at the same time, he's prophesying that when that spirit comes, it will come with stammering lips and another tongue, Oh, hallelujah. I'm talking about speaking under the influence of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And when you do that, it is refreshing. That's the plan of God for you and I to refresh our soul. Stammering lips another tongue. Hallelujah. And he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. When we look upon Christ's finished work on Calvary, we see that Jesus fulfilled the plan of the Sabbath for us. He fulfilled the plan of the Sabbath. The plan that the Sabbath will move away from a particular day into a particular condition that you and I enjoy through His presence. And so... With the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, that's what we saw on the day of Pentecost. We see God's promise of the finished work of Calvary in us. In us. Because now that Sabbath, that rest that Jesus promised to give us when we come unto him is now in us. Hallelujah. And so we see that the whole scripture, the totality, makes it clear that under the New Testament, no one has any obligation to observe a specific Sabbath day. Under the New Testament, the idea presented is not that there's no Sabbath, but that every day, I emphasize every day, every day, it's in your notes, every day is a day of Sabbath rest in the Holy Ghost that's made possible by the finished work of Christ on Calvary. I'll repeat that often because that's what makes it all possible. It's not us. It's not what we do. It's not 
what we do, I have to qualify that because people say, I don't have to do anything. No, we do, uh, but it's a work of faith and not anything ceremonial. It's not something to do to earn your salvation. But you do have to respond in faith, and that response is, is obedience. That's the qualify. That's the big if in all of these promises of God. But it comes with faith in the finished work of Calvary. And if we have faith in that, then the proper response to that is, is that I meet God's requirements in every one of his commandments. Hallelujah. And I'm not just talking about the Ten Commandments. I'm talking about the commands Jesus gave us, the New Testament epistles. I'm talking about the way that we should behave ourselves. I'm talking about modesty. I'm talking about all those things. Hallelujah. Uh, I mentioned before, legalism does not apply to anything written in the New Testament. I'm talking about the epistles. Nothing in, in the epistles, Acts and all the other, nothing in there implies legalism. Paul condemned legalism when you go by the letter of the law. The problem with the Jewish nation uh, during the time of Jesus was that uh, they said, okay, well, what's work? I can't work on Sabbath. Now, where's the line? What can I do and what can I do? How far can I walk before it becomes work? How much work can I do at home before it becomes illegal? And they so nitpicked so much, they had some, several hundred of these things. And, and all of a sudden, they lost sight of the whole purpose of the law. It became tedious. It became difficult to fulfill because you have so many rules. I have to say, when you go to Israel today on the Sabbath day, you know, you have certain elevators that only go so far. Did you experience that, brother, when you went there? Yeah. Hallelujah. And, and because they don't want you to push too many buttons to go up to the floor that you're going because it's work. You're not allowed to light a fire when you go, you know, on the Sabbath day. In Israel, everything shuts down on the Sabbath day. Hallelujah. Things change. Uh, but, but, but in Jesus Christ, that all disappears. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. And, uh, and, and this is something that tried to creep back into the church. And Paul had to address this to the New Testament church in the book of Galatians. And uh, he writes in chapter 4, verse 9 through 11, because he's warning the Galatian church about, uh, about not to return to the Old Testament ceremonial practices and, and the holidays of the Old Testament law. And he says this, but now, after that you have known God, meaning, remember, he's writing to the church, after you have known God. In other words, now you know who God is. There's Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's on the came in the flesh. And in response uh, uh, to that revelation, your faith demands that you repent of your sins, be baptized in his name, filled with the Holy Ghost. He's, he's avoiding all this. He's not telling them how to get saved. They're already saved. So he's in generic form referring, but after you have known God, after you got saved, or rather are known of God, because now you're no longer a foreigner, not a stranger to Israel. Now you're one of his kids. You're one of his sons. Or rather are known of God. How turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, meaning the Old Testament law, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? So bondage refers to going back to the Old Testament practices. Hallelujah. Even the Sabbath days. Because there was a transition at the Pentecost from the Sabbath day to the experience of the gift of the Holy Ghost. Wherewithal, you shall cause the weary to rest. It's not tied to a day. 
it's more or less, believe it or not, tied to a person, as we shall see. In short, the Old Testament people of God thought that they had found rest in a land, the land of Canaan, the promised land. Oh, yeah, the promised land, Canaan. That's where we shall find rest. Well, they did have rest from the enemies. Or they thought they found rest in Sabbath, in the Sabbath day. But in the New Testament, the people of God find rest in a person, and that's Jesus Christ. And that is his, the presence of his spirit inside of us. It's not doctrine. It's not ideas. It's not ceremony, not observing some ritual. It is the presence and infilling of the Holy Ghost. That's our Sabbath. There's a big difference between you know, taking comfort and, uh, and, and rest in, in a day versus a person. Big difference. If you can imagine uh, having a little baby, and I think, I think I have somebody here that I think are imagining what it's going to be like to have a little baby. Praise the Lord. But I can tell you that, that when a, a child is troubled, and, uh, and, you know, he may be a year old. They can't talk yet, but they are troubled. And I can tell you that, that you can go to the child, and you don't know what's causing that, 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 uh, that child to be so upset. And uh, you can check him out and say everything's okay, but he's crying. He's you can't reason with that child. I say, hey, what's the matter with you? Come on, settle down. There's nothing wrong. I fed you. Your diaper's good. You know, uh, you're not cold. You're not hot. I don't see any, any wounds on you. You know, uh, your head's okay. Come on now, settle down, straighten up. It's not going to do it. But I'll tell you what. You have mama show up. And that child, ah. See the difference between logic, ideas, theology, doctrine versus the Holy Ghost in us? Hallelujah. That's the big difference. It's not having a rest in a day or in a land. It's not doctrine fulfilling the law to the letter. It's in mm, the presence of our Father. My daddy's here. My daddy's here. Oh, my daddy's here. Oh, hallelujah. Father's Day. Praise God. Mm. Hallelujah. Well, we don't worship on Saturday. The Jewish people did. That it all changed after Jesus' resurrection. And I won't bother the list of verses, but I will give them to you. In Mark 16, 9, the Bible says that Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. That's Sunday. John 20, 19 tells us that Jesus met his disciples for the first time on the first day of the week. Acts 20, verse 7, and 1 Corinthians 16, 2 tells us that the church gathered together on the first day of the week. And you have those verses in your notes. So you don't have to worry about getting them, writing them down. And finally, Revelation 1:10. also John calls that Sunday, the first day of the week, the Lord's day. The Lord's day. That's why you and I gather for the most part on Sundays, not on Saturdays, because the early church did. They gave us the example. 
And the Bible says in Ephesians 2.20, not in your notes, for we're built upon the, the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone. They gave us the example. They set the foundation, and we build on that foundation. Not in the Old Testament, per se, but as the apostles for the, New, for the New Testament church. It's what they practice, what they give us the examples of. And so we follow the worship on Sunday. But notice that there's also something what the New Testament uh, in the book of Hebrews calls a rest that remains for the people of God. And that's so awesome. I, I wish I had another hour to talk about just this subject, but I will only uh, touch it uh, lightly. And uh, it's, again, um, talking about a greater Sabbath than what we have already now. Because what we have in the Holy Ghost is a whole lot better and greater than what the Old Testament saints had. Because only the high priest could get into the presence of God and he would never be filled with the Spirit. He could only feel the presence of God come upon him and he'd feel the goose pimples and, and the goosebumps and all that, you know, but, but nothing more. But you and I have one inside of us. And as great as that is, there's something greater coming yet. And the author of Hebrews um, in chapter 1 and 2 talks about Jesus coming at his sanctification as, as uh, uh, being God in the flesh who, uh, uh, who becomes the captain of our salvation and he became perfect through his sufferings and, uh, and he came to, uh, to make many uh, people his sons, uh, bring him to glory. And uh, in, in chapter 3, he goes on to say concerning the Old Testament Hebrews when they came out of Egypt and... Uh, uh, they were not able to enter the promised land right away. Remember, they, they rebelled against God when they sent out the 12 spies. And the two spies said, yeah, we can do it. Let's go. The 10 said, no, we can't do it. They're giants on the land. Let's not try. And uh, God was displeased. And, of course, uh, he uh, punished Israel by saying, you're going to have to you know, wander in the wilderness for 40 years, one year for each day that he has spied out the land. And, uh, and so he, he passed judgment. And none of those people entered the promised land except their children uh, who were 20 years and above. And so uh, under, rather, 20 years and under. But all the people 20 years and over died in the wilderness in the next 40 years. And so, so he's making a reference to, to that event in Hebrews chapter 3. Again, because the Hebrews, who he's writing to, is very familiar with that history. And so uh, here the writer is saying... Um, Referring to the Holy Ghost too. Oh, I don't want to go back that far. Oh, man, this is so tempting. Uh, Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. And for that point, for their, his plan was the land of promise, Canaan, and also the Sabbath day. So... Now, the, going back to the New Testament, he's writing to the New Testament Jewish Christians. Verse 12, take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. 
For if we are made partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end, but we will be with him today, today, today. And then go down to verse 19, and he concludes the subject, as we all know. So we see that they could not, the Israelites who rebelled, could not enter in because of unbelief. So he brings up the importance of faith, having faith in God's promises, God's provision for, uh, for his people. And so in chapter 4, he continues the thought, uh, let us, therefore, as Christians, fear, I have a high regard, high respect, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. Well, how so? Well, God preached to them you know, through the Old Testament uh, tabernacle and the, the priesthood and all the rituals, everything that pointed to Christ. He was preached to them, but the word preached not, uh, but the priest did not, excuse me, let me back up. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do Enter into rest. And I'm going to leave it at there. Hallelujah. For we which have believed do enter into rest. Hallelujah. See, he says, let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest. Any of you should come short of it. And we can come short. It doesn't matter how close you get. If you're short, you're short. If you're second place in a race and you're that far behind, you lose. <laughs> you don't win. And he's saying, if you're this close to the, to the rest that God has for us yet, hallelujah, uh, you're, you lose. So let's be careful. And he says, guard your faith. Why? He said, verse 2, for unto us was the gospel preached as unto them, but the word preached, preached to them, did not profit them. Why? Because not mixed with faith in them that heard it. So it shows why two people can hear the same message and one prophet, the other one not. One person will come and repent and the other will just, eh, see you later. So I, one can have a good time in church, the other one turn his nose up and say it was horrible. It's what's in their heart. What's their faith? They heard the same word, but uh, no anticipation. See, when there's faith, there's anticipation. There's expectancy. And when there's no faith, there's no anticipation and no expectancy. Hallelujah. And uh, we see that when there's more anticipation, there's favor and blessing. God meets our expectation and, 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 in fact, supersedes it most of the time. Mixed with faith. You know, it's a metaphor taken from, from the body function. When, when you eat food, I hope you eat food. I think you eat food. I think most of you do. I think you're pretty healthy looking. Amen. And when you eat food, you take a bite, and what happens is you, you chew it, right? And what happens? Your body secretes a lot of saliva. I don't mean to gross you out. I'm just telling you what you're doing every day, three times a day, maybe five times. I don't know. But that's what happens. You know, you, 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 your, your food that you eat, you chew up and you get mixed with saliva. And then 
it goes down into your stomach, and it's mixed with gastric juices, with acids. Am I right, Sister Angela? As a nurse, amen. Yeah, you said it. The elementary canal, right? Mm, hallelujah. Fancy word for, you know, your mouth down to your stomach. And you get all this food in there, and you get the gastric acid and juice all mixed further with it. In other words, the saliva and the enzymes and the gastric acid, all those things are mixed together with the food that you eat. And as a result, it's broken down uh, in, into, into the, the, the substance that it needs to be to be able to be absorbed into your bloodstream and to be transported by your blood to the rest of your body to give nourishment to every one of the billions of cells that you got in your body. But what happens if you eat food and there's no saliva and there are no gastric juices to break that down? It doesn't get absorbed in your system. As a result, you don't get the nourishment. You don't get the strength. You don't get the refreshing, you don't get the benefit, and you don't get to live. And this is the concept that, that the writer of Hebrews is bringing forth here about the importance of mixing the word with faith. When you come to Bible study, are you bringing faith and expectation? Are you bringing your faith to, so that the word that you hear is mixed with faith so you can break it down and let it be sunk deep down into your heart? What am I talking about? Think of your brain as your spiritual mouth. The word comes into your mind. Now let it be you know, bombarded with faith. Let it be mixed with faith as you're getting thoughts and the message that you hear every time you come to the house of God. And now let it sink deep down in your heart. Let the gastric, spiritual gastric juices move there to break those things down so they can touch your spiritual heart and give you that spiritual strength and nourishment and extend your life spiritually that you and I need. The Hebrews of the Old Testament didn't enter the promised land of Canaan because they did not mix the word they heard with faith. Amen. Hallelujah. So without faith, it's impossible to please him. Right? Amen. It's indispensable uh, to our spiritual walk with God. So now go, jump down to chapter 4, verse 9. And I'll just focus on these three verses. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Notice that. There remains therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, meaning those who are born again in his rest, he has also ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief, that is, of faithlessness. Hallelujah. See, entering uh, here first means, uh, entering that rest means no longer needing to work the ceremonial laws and rituals of the Old Testament. And it does not mean that there's no longer a place for even doing good works. Because Ephesians, excuse me, yeah, Ephesians uh, chapter 2, I put Galatians, I hope I didn't write, did I write Galatians on there for you? I hope not. It's Galatians, it's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. I wrote it wrong in my notes. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, for by, by grace are you saved that not of yourself is the gift of God. 
But verse 10 says, but we're made, we're created under good works. So when he says we're not saved by works, we're not saved by the works of the Old Testament law, uh, laws of Moses. Okay? Uh, but by uh, good works of faith. And that's a different story altogether. Um, so on the Sabbath day, for example, uh, works, works on the Sabbath. Jesus was accused of violating the Sabbath in many ways. Uh, when, he, they, when he went through the, the, the cornfields with disciples and they went to the corners and took corn seeds and they rubbed it together and, and they ate. And the Pharisees said, ah, you, you broke the law. In fact, according to that, they broke four laws. You know, the harvesting, the reaping, and the threshing, and the wind, all that stuff. All, four times, you're guilty of the Sabbath. And uh, he said, nah, I wish I had time to go into that. You know, the Sabbath was made for the man, not man for the Sabbath. And the, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath also. Hallelujah. Think about this. This is so cool. The Sabbath didn't come until after man was created. Sabbath didn't precede man. Man did. Man comes first, and then the Sabbath. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so, so not only Jesus did miracles. I mean, the priests, if you think about it, the priests in a temple, tabernacle, on the Sabbath day, they still had to do their daily sacrifice morning and evening, killing those animals. That was work. Cutting the throats, flaying them, burning them, all that. That was a lot of work. And we do the same thing on Sundays, hallelujah. It's supposed to be a rest day. It is, but it's a different kind of rest. Hallelujah. It's good works on the Holy Ghost. But you do need time off from that too. And we are kings and priests. We work on Sundays. Jesus died to make us kings and priests in his kingdom, right? right. Revelation 1, 5, and 6. First uh, Peter 2 and 5. That's not in there. It's through in there for good measure. But we're kings and priests in his kingdom. We are priests. Not only pray in a, as intermediary priests for, for the lost world, but we, we also bring sacrifice to the Lord. What's that? Thanksgiving, fruit of our lips, Hebrews chapter 13, and, uh, and communicating, that's giving, offerings, and so on. That's all part of our, our priestly duties. And we do that on the Sabbath day, on, on a day of rest and worship. Amen. But the idea that, that there's no longer any place for works uh, uh, as, as a basis of our own righteousness is what he's talking about. That, then, that, that we're not saved by works. We're not to do any more works whatsoever. It refers to the fact that, that we don't have to do anything to earn our salvation. No work is done for that. Uh, no work is done to make you righteous. We cease from all self-justifying works. You can't justify yourself. Because we place our faith in the finished work of, on the cross of Calvary. And in response to that, we now do works of faith, not works of the ceremonial law of Moses. And under the law of Moses, men work six days a week from Sunday through Friday towards God's rest. Hallelujah. Imagine that. We do the same thing in, in some respects. I mean, they work from, from Sunday through Friday. And on Saturday, they had the rest. Their first day of the week was Sunday. Our first day is on Monday, and we do the same thing. We work Monday through Friday, and we work towards the weekend. We work towards the end. Then we say, ah, and we work towards something. And it's designed by God that way to also do the same thing in faith as we look forward to that greater rest that is yet coming when Jesus returns. 
There yet remaineth, therefore, a rest to the people of God. And that rest is when the trumpet sounds. Hallelujah. When Jesus turns and we're translated and we're caught up in a moment in a twinkling of an eye and we enter into his presence forever and ever. Hallelujah. And his redemptive work is fulfilled in us. Hallelujah. There still remaineth a rest for the people of God. And the rest that we're still laboring to enter now is that rest when it happens when that trumpet indeed sounds. Job said it best, Job 3.17. There the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary be at rest. When we get there, all this life and the pressures of it is over. If you really just stop in time from your busy schedule, if you just had 15 minutes just to bring your mind into awareness of all the pressure that you're under. I'm talking about pressures of the past, pressures of bills, pressures of, re of relationships, pressures of, of the news, pressures of financial obligations and financial problems. Pressures with, with, with relations with kids, worry, anxiety, bills to pay. But here, the good news is we're at the end of the sixth dispensation. And the seventh, the rest is coming. And when we go, all that pressure and anxiety, all it will cease. When you're in God, you're in perfect peace. God doesn't feel any pressure. And when you get in his presence there, you will have no pressure of guilt, of sins, of embarrassment, of shame. None of the things of the past as baggage that weigh you down when he comes. There's an old song that talks just about this in Job 38. And I asked Andrew if she could get that song. I found it on YouTube. Amen. It's Jerome Davis, Leads the Choir. It's a, a Gaither uh, group. Hallelujah. But uh, listen to the words to this thing. It's kind of dated. It's kind of old. But, you know, it's not old for me. It's still pretty new. Amen. It's still fresh in my mind. Hallelujah. In fact, we used to sing it in this church, Sister Switzer. Amen. I remember who used to sing it. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Are we ready? Let us play it and turn up the volume because I can't hear it. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Jesus. Can anybody interpret? Can anybody read lips? Could you? Uh, maybe you can. Uh, you can interpret for us. You can rewind it too, Caleb. If you can find the noise, the sound. Oh, thank you, Jesus. God is good.
Oh, yeah. You can't hear it back there. It's not too loud. I'm going where the wicked shall cease. That's true. Oh, yeah. And the weary shall be Hallelujah. Stand up if you would. Stand with me. Now let's clap our hands unto the Lord, shall we? Thank you, Lord. The wicked will cease in troubling, and we shall be at last at rest. Hallelujah. Praise God. Moral story, stay in faith. Keep believing, because that's what this chapter is about. Amen. There remaineth a rest unto the people of God.
But the subject is faith. Stay in the faith, the New Testament faith, not the Old Testament. Don't go back to trying to, to, to earn your righteousness in some other way than in the finished work of Calvary and your proper response to that by Acts 2.38. Focus your faith because with unbelief, many others have lost out. People of God who had the promises of God, who had heard the gospel message, who had have, who have every opportunity to serve God. Not to mention, get this, this is really something that came to me that blew me away. On that first day of worship and celebration after creation, when all the angelic hosts worshipped and shouted, Lucifer was among them. Lucifer was among them until he rose up against God and he lost out, never, ever having a chance again to return. Thanks be to God that to us he's merciful and he gave us a second chance. Man, let's lift up our hands and thank him and worship him, shall we? Sister Shayla, come on. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. If we could continue this worship and just thank God for the word tonight. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your rest, Lord Jesus. I have faith that I know who you are. You are the great I am. You are the one.